Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Danger Room, the X-Men comic book commentary podcast. I'm Adam. I'm Jeremy. We're here to talk about X-Men number three. When did this come out? Oh, I don't know. Probably in 1963. (laughs) Oh, January. Hold on here. January 1964. 1964. Well, okay. The copyright is 1963. But that's okay. This one's Beware of the Blob. Bum, bum, bum. I got to tell you, the Blob, uh, oddly enough, is one of my favorite Marvel supervillains. Yeah? <laughs> <laughs> well, he has quite, uh, he's got quite a past. Not a quite a past, quite a history. Quite a future, I should say. He doesn't have any past, I guess, in this issue. But yeah, I mean, I don't know. He's been one of my favorite villains. Because I guess when I started collecting X-Men, it was right about that era where they were Freedom Force and the X-Men were fighting the Freedom Force a lot. And Blob was a prominent member of Freedom Force. And also the Second Brotherhood of Evil Mute. So are you, have, you, have you read this issue before? Are you familiar with the origin of the Blob, as it were? Not really the origin, the first appearance. I am, and in, and let me tell you, without spoiling too much, it's kind of disappointing. <laughs> I enjoyed this issue actually. I mean, maybe I was, uh, maybe it was the disappointment of last issue that <laughs> carried through. kept this going. But <laughs> no, actually, and we're going to get into this. But this is this is a fifty fifty episode for or fifty fifty issue for me. So, okay. anyways, yeah, let's let's just jump right into this thing, eh? Uh, we should mention, written by Stan Lee, illustrated by Jack Kirby, inked by Paul Rainman, lettered by Art Simic. Wow. Produced with pride by the mighty Marvel Comics Group. You know, one thing that came to my mind as we're, we're kind of going through these, and we were having, uh, you know, like the first issue was pretty good. The second issue wasn't all that great. Uh, but the Marvel bullpen at this era uh, was basically what? Stanley, Jack Kirby, and that's about it. Oh, and Steve Ditko for Spider-Man. I remember, I remember reading somewhere that Stanley would pawn off some of the writing duties to his brother Larry. Oh, okay. Because I would be curious, and maybe this is something to do some some other day, is do like a side-by-side comparison of like what was going on in the Avengers, the Hulk, uh, or whatever titles were also out at the same time that has Stan Lee's name on it or Jack Kirby's name and see which ones are, how they compare, how they stack up story-wise, how they stack where up art-wise. Where is he concentrating? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like where is his focus? Like is there like a really good run of the Avengers and it kind of wanes and the X-Men get really good and then Spider-Man <laughs> and back and forth? I have a feeling at this point he was not concentrating on the X-Men. No, I don't think so. So anyways, yeah, you're looking at this uh, this this uh, picture here and uh, the first thing I notice is that Cyclops' goggles are missing. So that tells me Jack Kirby's <laughs> already kind of like half-assing it on this issue. The professor's like... Hey, good job, Cyclops. Your reaction has speeded up 3% since last week. Not one sawdust-filled practice bag has gotten past your power beam, which tells me that... Yeah, well, not only that, but it tells me that last week he got hit in the face with one of these (laughs) sawdust bags because not one of them got past his power beam. And can you Hmm. imagine one of those things hitting you in the face? Well, I'm really impressed by what uh, Bobby is doing here. He's actually catching them (laughs) without having them bounce. So he is like... He's, he's re- put so much ice into this that he's balancing it and keeping it from touching the floor. He's the rebounder. That's, that's really hard to do. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> and so, Marvel Girl watches on. Yeah, she really doesn't have much of a role. Oh, boys. Boys will be boys. <laughs> I think that's what's going on there. Oh, and here in page two, we get it. We get the first instance of uh, Mopey Scott. I think actually in this first, the second page, I should say, we get uh, a more of a personality bio than we have in the first two issues all combined. Probably in this panel. We also get uh, Beast's intelligence finally. Yes, Beast's intelligence starts shining through. 
uh, yes, Mopey Scott. This is oh, this just drives me nuts. And he'll continue to say this. Oh, <laughs> oh, if I out shield my eyes, anything might happen. Sometimes I wish I weren't Cyclops. Oh, the responsibility of it all. <laughs> Such a wiener. <laughs> And yes, panel two. Little man, did anyone ever tell you that you are a featherbrand fathead? If I weren't for the fact that I abhor violence. So yes, we are getting, uh, he's got more of, um, what am I trying to say? He's more articulate now than he has been in the yeah, past two issues. Exactly. So there's more hijinks with uh, the X-Men there in panel three. And yep, one, goofing one. off and uh, Iceman again freezes Angel's wings. Once again. And Cyclops, with his awesome power that he must keep control under all circumstances, once again is blasting away at Angel's wings to get the ice off. Now, Angel says, stay out of this, Cyclops. It's between that frozen JD and me. Is that like Jack Daniels? I was going to ask you that. What is a JD? <laughs> I don't know. What is he trying to say that uh, Iceman is a tall glass of water? <laughs> Get rid of a, a tall glass of JD. That frozen JD. And so is, what, what could a JD possibly be? Jane Doe, John Doe, Jack, Jack, Jack Daniels. Yeah. Jack Donkey. Jerk, jerk douche. Jerk douche. <laughs> that, yes. I, I understand douche was a, a, a common insult in the 60s. <laughs> uh, I'm going with jerk douche then. Okay. If anybody Jerk knows, if anybody is. was alive in the 60s and, and maybe was calling each other JDs, could you please just write in and uh, let us know? Or if anybody know. wants to do the internet search that we're not going to do. That's yes, right. <laughs> please send your submission. Hey, we should uh, maybe just drop the email address real quick then. Oh, yeah. We have an email address now. Drop all the information. Do it. Oh, uh, go to uh, www.redcatproductions.com forward slash danger room for all your danger room episode information and bios and backgrounds and pictures and good stuff and then email us at danger room at redcatproductions.com and you can talk to us yeah let us know what you think of the show uh, how we're doing your responses to the issues themselves or our your responses to our responses yeah and then you can tell us what a JD is <laughs> yeah because we need to know okay so the so, professor uh, breaks see. in. Oh yeah, he's he's enough of the enough of the hijinks, guys. It's time for Marvel Girl to practice. And she, so yeah, all the other X Men are getting these kind of physical exercises, and she has to move a piece of wood through a what would you call that? Some sort of wood block obstacle course. Yeah, it's some sort of like coat hanger contraption. Actually, she does kind of refer that uh, she asked the professor why she's at being tasked with such a simple test. And the professor points out that they're testing her uh, skill, not her power. Uh-uh. He says, you know the rules, girl. No talking during <laughs> testing, period. Oh, sorry, sir. <laughs> so the professor's right. kind of a jerk, too. Well, she competes the task at seven seconds, which is a marked improvement. Oh, yes, a marked and, improvement. Uh, yes. As we know, the professor is very into precise seconds uh, of accounting for time. And then, without the help of Cerebro, he just magically detects a mutant presence. Hang on now. <laughs> Have we even discovered Cerebro yet? No. Oh, you're just dropping things left and right. No, actually, okay, I well, prefer... I, I'm, I think this is plausible. The professor senses something. I think, uh, as we dis discover in future panels, the blob is somewhere in the, you know, the greater Manhattan area or New York uh, county area so it's so if he's close enough he can detect him that's what yeah I, I think that's plausible 
All right, all right, I'll buy Although, it. Although, well, if you think about it, I mean, as mutants become more prevalent, you'd think he'd just be going nuts because mutants would be popping up left and right. I mean, I mean, in current day Marvel comics, before that whole thing of what was it, uh, uh, the House of M, weren't there like thousands, hundreds of thousands of mutants? Yeah, yeah, and know. they kept coming up with like there was they tried to get rid of them by destroying Genosha, mm-hmm. and then the House of M happened, which actually just successfully got rid of all of them, but I think a hundred. Yeah. Do you know who else they, uh, the uh, House of M got rid of? Um, the Blob. Oops, spoiler. Really? Yeah. <laughs> oh, one of my favorite comics. It was written by Chris Claremont. It was um, After M, I think is what it was called. It was just a one-shot, maybe 64 pages. And it opens up with the Blob in a hotel room. He's like, oh, what a night I had last night. Oh, I'm so hungover. Oh, oh, all these blankets. I can't get out of all these blankets. Oh, my gosh. And he turns the light on, and all he is, he's just this skinny guy with all this flab hanging all over. He's like, no, what's <laughs> happened? My powers are gone. I was like, no, the blob, my, one of my favorite characters. You demutantized him. Uh, you know, Iceman lost his powers, too, but he got him back. <laughs> Actually, and in, 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 in true Marvel form, uh, you sent me an image from IGN that said, like, the future of Marvel, and in there there was a picture of the blob. So he'll probably be back. Exactly. At any rate, moving uh, on. So the professor is detecting a mutant presence. In the in the lower right-hand corner of page three, final panel, mm-hmm. uh, the third, oh, every issue there's been a mention, well, a, a use of the word uncanny. Mm-hmm. This is mm-hmm. the third one in this panel. Mm. Did you take a note just on like that? Or point you just, that out? You just bring that up from, from, from memory. No, I, I'm kind of reading through it as oh, we go. Nice, okay. Um, and I noticed it in the second one, and we didn't bring it up. We did not. Yes, you're right. It I, was present. I also, I also I love this panel of the professor's eyes over the city. I think it's kind of cool. <laughs> yeah. They're kind of girly eyes, though. It looks like he's got some eyeshadow going on. <laughs> not eyeshadow, but uh, eyeliner going on there. He's got some swirly action going on. <laughs> uh, yes. And minutes later. So uh, we're going to send the X-Men out to retrieve this mutant. And uh, the X-Men are more concerned about who gets to go team up with Jean Grey on this uh, mission. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So they're then, fighting, well, but, doing the usual shenanigans. But then Scotty already, the first kind of hint that he's got a a, a, a crush on her. Oh, and, yeah, and she's been totally into him since issue two, even. This is the first time, I think, that there's been a little Scotty word balloon talking about how much he cares for her, but then also going into the, I do not dare, not while I possess my dreaded power. This is also, uh, I don't know, maybe not the first, but it's it's one of the first uh, thought balloons in X-Men that isn't related to Professor X communicating with somebody. I think you're right. Well, I think, has there been other, I think there's been other thought balloons like, now I'm going to shoot, shoot him over here. I think there's been like kind of action. He, uh, uh, well, we'd have to go back and look, but I think, I think you might be yeah. right. This is, I think this is the first kind of like non action sort of character driven thought bubbles. Yeah. Like an inner, inner monologue yeah. type deal. But I think it's very then, odd that w- as we continue the professor, which we, uh, I mean, you wouldn't know unless you read this issue also seems to have a crush on Jean gray. Yeah. That's just creepy. <laughs> Don't worry. As though I could help worrying about the one I love, but I can never tell her. And he also, okay, so Scott's got his his dreaded power, and and he's some reason can't tell her that she loves him, he loves her, because he's confined to a wheelchair? Yeah, well, he also he feels some sort of uh, guilt about being the leader of the X-Men, and, you know. That part I get, but the end confined to the wheelchair, I don't know, it's like, what? <laughs> 
just now he's you're just a making pansy. Ex- yeah, now you're just making excuses. <laughs> Pretty much. Oh, or is he completely dead from the waist down? Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Think about it. I don't know. He doesn't seem to have a problem with mind wiping people. (laughs) That's true. He could just be like, you had the most wonderful time last night. Yes, professor. (laughs) You were amazing. (laughs) You took me to the stars and back. Yes. Yes, I did. All right. Some more shenanigans with uh, who gets to take Jean Grey out on this task. Ultimately, Angel swoops in and picks her up. And drives away in their fancy car. Even after... She said that she would go with Scott. Oh, Scott, don't worry. I'll go with you. The angel comes in and essentially kidnaps her. (laughs) (laughs) You're coming with me. And she, now if you look at her in the second frame, she's kind of like, eh, whatever. And she kind of puts her arms up like behind her shoulders. He's got the car. The car means everything. It's a convertible too, you know. It's a pretty hot car. I'm I'm, I'm done with the angel. She's like, well, you know, I'll talk to Scotty later. But for right now, I'm going to live this up. And uh, in the next panel, Iceman and Beast look irate. Mm-hmm. With their beady little eyes. I don't know. Something about this frame, you can kind of still see some some more of Iceman and Beast's friendship developing. Scott just <laughs> seems to be, like, apart, even though not, not spatially, but just, I don't know, the whole well, way the panel's has drawn glasses. out. Uh, he has glasses and a plaid suit. That horrible suit of his. <laughs> Purple plaid. So then we go on a montage of trying to find this mutant. And we find all sorts of kooky characters who are being misinterpreted. Which are, you know, pretty pretty far stretches. I mean... Well, this first guy has got a magnifying glass, a handheld magnifying glass, and he's and burning... He's using it to burn a paper that's like, I don't know, a waist height away from the magnifying glass. Who who just I stands in the corner burning papers with magnifying glasses? I mean, was that a, a better thing question? In the 60s? Who just stands there and watches? Right. The other guy's like, oh, "That's a pretty nice trick. Can I try?" No, no, no. Uh, this is mine. I just got this. He's pretty casual about it, leaning against the lamppost. Yeah, that's right. Check uh-huh. me out. Yeah, burning really the cool. paper. Oh yeah. This is what they did before they smoked. <laughs> <laughs> Hung around street lamps, burning papers with magnifying glasses. So then we move on to the second guy who could possibly be the mutant who appears to be standing on air. But the beast, again, now, he he has this ability to Spider-Man walk up walls, which I don't think carries through into present-time beast. Yeah, it's it's that divot thing where if the divots are wide enough, I can fit my toes in. Okay, and that's... And moving fu- on to the next page, he's, he is doing a total Spider-Man standing sideways on a, on a building. Exactly. Now... I got to wonder, like, even if he could muster up the strength to, like, crinkle his toes in to grab into those grooves, I mean, those would have to be really strong toes because he looks like he's standing sideways against the wall effortlessly. Well, he's definitely doing something with his toes because he took off his shoes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How do these two guys not see him? (laughs) Are they like, yeah, okay, so the two guys are standing on a glass scaffold, which I I don't know why they're standing on a glass scaffold, but that's why it looks like they're floating in the sky. They're hanging up the letter K, and yes, they don't see this guy who appears to be only, well, I don't know, five or six feet away, who's standing, uh, what, perpendicular to them? (laughs) (laughs) Against the wall. Nope, they don't see him. Cyclops ends up at the circus. Oh, a carnival. A nearby carnival. Spotting someone shooting at, what is it, target game? Yeah. Shooting backwards over the shoulder. And hitting every single target. Figures maybe maybe the mutant has a, a... some sort of enhanced targeting ability. Or an X power, an extra power. 
<laughs> in case you haven't figured that out by now. Well, it's probably one of those things where they have to retell that every every single issue. Sure. That was the Stan Lee method of writing comic books, right? Like, treat each comic book as if it's a kid's first. Right. Which is a good philosophy. It is. It is. It is. So it turns out that guy's a fraud. There's really a guy hiding underneath uh, some sheets who's actually doing the real shooting, and this guy's just shooting blanks or whatever. But at that same carnival, there is the mutant. And the first appearance of the blob. (laughs) And the blob just stands there, kind of in the back. Again, wearing pink, purple, and red. Mm -hmm. It's a good introduction to a character who will have a long life in the Marvel Universe. The Vanisher wore purple and red. Magneto wore purple and red. (laughs) And now the blob wears purple and red. Well, you know, the printing press... Because villains in the X-Men universe wear purple and red, and that's that's what this is telling me. There's only so many colors at the printing press in 1963. <laughs> Nothing says evil like pink, purple, and red. <laughs> Those are the two evilest colors ever. I think I read a psychiatric paper about that. <laughs> I don't know. So, yep, uh, what happens here, I, I love, uh, it's a carnival barker who's, look at this big fat man, nobody can knock him over, he's a incredible, pay two bits and you can see him. So a bunch of big strong men get up on the stage to try and knock them over, and they can't. But if you look at this second panel on on what page are we on? Seven. Uh, mm. I, I don't know what's going on here. How did Cyclops? <laughs> I mean, Cyclops is up there on this on the stage, and I don't know how did he get up there. Is there like a ladder behind the blob, or is he standing on somebody else's back trying to push the blob down? You know why the blob's not being pushed over? Because everybody's pushing in a different direction. <laughs> They're not cooperating and pushing in the same direction. Cyclops has a secondary mutation where his legs grow extra long. <laughs> He's the plastic man of the Marvel Universe. <laughs> well, I guess that's Mr. Fantastic. Uh, yeah, somehow he gets way up there, and, and uh, bottom line, nobody can push him over. And Scott's not and, impressed uh, with that mutant power. Not impressed at all. He seems like just a fat dude to me. Mm-hmm. Until uh, somebody shoots him with a gun. A cowboy. Yeah, some, some cowboy shows up to Shoots him with a gun apparently four times. The crowd's like, that's fake, that's blanks. But as we can see, the blob kind of expands his body a little bit, and all these little bullets come flying out. So he's immovable, and he's invulnerable. Cyclops goes to talk to him privately. Well, he Okay, so he he says uh, on the first panel of page 8, he says, uh, no wonder Professor X wants to get the blob before the evil mutants can contact him. Have we... at this point, I guess is Magneto and the Vanisher. <laughs> and the Vanisher. I mean, have we really determined who the evil mutants are other than those two? And, and, and as far as we know, the Vanisher and Magneto haven't teamed up, so it'd really be like the evil mutant, a evil mutant. Well, at this point, we still think the Vanisher is mind-wiped. That's true. We think the Vanisher is mind-wiped, and Magneto really hasn't established himself as the X-Men's nemesis. He's just this guy that they met in the first issue that just kind of flew away and hasn't been heard of for a few months now. You know, it's probably the professor has been, like, putting these fears in their heads. There are so many evil mutants out there. (laughs) (laughs) You must be very careful. Evil mutants everywhere. Really, the the professor is just this small, afraid little man who's concocted all of these fears. And the Vanisher and Magneto are really just metamorphoses of his mind, trying to get everybody to get onto his side. And they don't really exist. In fact, the entire Marvel Universe is just some delusional crazy ramblings of a senile old bald man <laughs> or not i don't know so so cyclops talks to uh the blob the blob goes to his trailer. my name's summers mind if i have a few words with you and then the blob responds if it's a touch rube you're wasting your time what does that mean uh 
I don't know. Well, Rube, Rube is like, uh, like newbie kind of, right? Yeah, I got that. Like uneducated. That's what a Rube is, I guess, in the carnival circuit. But I don't know what. If it's a touch, Rube, you're wasting your time. What the heck is a touch? And then Cyclops responds, "It's no touch, fella." It's no touch, fella. Have you ever heard of the X-Men? Those jerky juveniles in the corny costumes? Sure, I heard of them. Why? So what? Wait, everybody has the same voice all Yeah, of a yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They're all fast-talking, like, uh, film noir <laughs> people. No, I don't know. Well, that's the, the dialect or the, uh, I don't know, touch. What does touch mean? It's no touch, fella. You've got the touch. <laughs> <laughs> okay, could be. <laughs> they're inventing that song before it was actually invented. So, folks, if or you're out there and you like want to leave us a come comment, up to the blob all the time, and they're like, "Hey, can I touch you, Mister?" <laughs> <laughs> it's no touch. I don't want to touch that. I've seen where it's been. No thanks. So, if you can tell us what a JD is, and and if it's a touch you're referring to, you're wasting your time. If you could explain to us what a touch is in that context, that'd be fantastic. So, Cyclops immediately getting angry about the uh, the, blob. the lack of touch. Kind of jerk, actually. <laughs> yeah, and uh, any even comments about how how he's kind of being a jerk. Mm-hmm. I shouldn't lose my temper. Yeah, I, I think this is the first. Well, I, we definitely find out this is the first misstep. They say we want to bring you back to our headquarters. The X Men don't take no for an answer. What a way to establish yourself as a team yeah. of good guys. We don't take no for yeah. an answer. Come with us. Looks Turns sweet. out they are the evil mutants. <laughs> what? The evil mutants was us all along. No. <laughs> so uh, the professor must have sent uh, Angel and Jean to come and play good cop to Scott's bad cop. <laughs> <laughs> That's the only way I can explain it because they come in with the charm yeah. and and Jean Grey is so pretty and yeah, and the blob immediately responds to her and it's like, okay, let's do it. I'll I'll do whatever you want as long as she's around. Well, grabs her by the arm and as long as he can call her the cute tomato, <laughs> I'll go yeah. with me and this cute tomato can sit in the rumble seat. <laughs> now, do you know what a rumble seat is? No, I think a rumble seat, like you know, on those old-fashioned cars where like the back seat would pull up or you could push it back down. I believe that's a rumble seat, and I don't know how the blob could fit in the rumble seat. Uh, after the blob decides uh, to call Jean Grey a, a cute tomato. Scott shoots him in the back. <laughs> hey, Tubby. Very, very tense, Scott, in this issue. Yes. So much for my dangerous powers. He's shooting carnies. He's shooting the angel. He's shooting the blobs left and right. He don't care. And the then... Uh, falls into a uh, burning stove, but it's okay because uh, yet another uh, facet of his powers is that he can withstand fire. Well, he's invulnerable. So yep. it doesn't hurt. Maybe it hurts, but it doesn't leave a mark or anything. Jean Grey rushes to his uh, rescue. Oh, you shouldn't have been so rough with him. I'm sure he doesn't mean any harm. <laughs> and then some more uh, demonstration of his power. He snuffs out the flame. Uh, for some reason, so wait, what's going on? If I go back to the other page, the stove is not open. Why is there a wood-burning stove in his trailer to begin with? Doesn't that seem dangerous? <laughs> I mean, he's, um, he's literally in one of those those train cars, and he has a wood stove in his train car that's burning, and then he yeah, opens it. Yeah, yeah. Um. <laughs> <laughs> and if you look at the bottom panel, the the chimney, the flue, or the chimney stack, he he breaks that in half. But in the next frame, it's all put back together, 
And then the blob has opened up the top and the bottom and has pulled out a log of flame so that he can snuff it out with his fist. Man, see, exactly. Stan Lee was definitely putting all of his uh, ideas into the Avengers and just he was just winning this one. <laughs> In between the panels, the blob opened up those two doors and fixed the... And <laughs> fixed the chimney. Hang on yeah. there, you tomato. <laughs> Let me fix my stove. So the blob, uh, despite being attacked, is convinced to go back with the X-Men merely because of the presence of Jean Grey. Mm, she's pretty. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, next panel, we have the blob testing his the limits of his power. And, and now he's wearing green and purple. Oh, whose colors are those? I don't it's know. Like a, it's like a reverse Hulk. <laughs> <laughs> I was hoping you wouldn't notice. But he's not wearing pink or red. Yeah, 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 and, true. Okay, so. It's, it's a move up. They've got him attached to this chain contraption, and he breaks the chain contraption. Looks like they're trying to lift him up into the air, but they can't. Thus, continuing to prove that he's uh, immovable. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is kind of, so the professor goes into this kind of molecule talk, this whatever, and basically, bottom line, he's telling the blob that he is a homo superior. The blob kind of starts causing some trouble, and the Iceman decides to freeze his foot. <laughs> X-Men, the, I swear to God, just jerks. The X-Men are just terribly mean to the blob. No wonder he hates them. Yeah, and no no, no manners here. So now I always kind of took this uh, when I first read it. I've, this is probably like the third or fourth time I've actually read this issue in my life. That So the, the, uh, the X-Men are always trying to protect their identities because they don't want their family members to be attacked or whatever, so they keep right. their identity secret. And uh, so I always took it that these teenagers uh, took the blob to the mansion and they were like, okay, blobbo, wait here. And then they would go off and then change and then come back and be like, hey, thanks for bringing them, other guys. We're the X-Men. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're upstairs. Uh, you can see them later. But I guess in reality, no, they they come and for some reason change into their uniforms in front of the blob and then do this testing exercise, telling the blob who they are and what they are and where they are. Which is just, just poor planning. <laughs> well, they're, they're, they're probably thinking that, uh, well, if anything goes wrong, the professor will mind wipe them. <laughs> well, I think the way it's written here is they think that who could possibly not want to join the X-Men? Yeah. <laughs> uh, and as we see in, in panel four here, uh, the, the professor gets a little indignant. This is unheard of. No one has ever refused us before. Uh, what examples... <laughs> yeah, have we had? he's asked five people, clearly. <laughs> uh, uh, you cannot be permitted to leave now that you know our identities. It's out of our question. Which to me is like, well, didn't the professor, I mean, he's kind of a smart guy, biggest brain in the, in the, in the world, right? Wouldn't he have maybe come up with a plan for this? I must drive this memory from his mind. Or was I he so... From his mind, take him to the lab. Or was he? Yeah, he. I guess he does say that. But or was he so full of himself that he's like, nobody's going to reject an offer to join the X Men. Yeah, he's. Uh... But now, here's another thing. Stop him, my X Men. I must drive this memory from his mind. Take him to my lab. In the last issue, all he needed to do is be a few feet away from him on the lawn of the the country's capital to drive that mind to 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 erase everybody's mind. All right, so theory is he's gotten weaker, this issue. <laughs> oh, okay. That's probably not true. <laughs> uh, the blob's head is so large um, that the professor has trouble penetrating it. 
a line of dialogue here would have cleared that up, but it doesn't exist. <laughs> so I'm just going to say that Stanley was not paying attention to this issue. <laughs> so the X-Men go and attack him because they were trying to get him to the lab instead of having the professor just mind wipe him. And uh, Blob takes uh, Angel hostage, thereby causing Cyclops to not be able worry to shoot about him. the power, his powers again. His awesome I can't power. risk this. His dreaded awesome power. <laughs> On the next page, Iceman throws another fist at the Blob. What is it with Iceman and fists? Yeah, these never work. <laughs> a, they're dumb. B, they always miss. <laughs> he should have thrown a horse at him. <laughs> we, as we've seen, the horses always work. <laughs> um. Yeah, yeah, you go. Uh, fall back, attack. Jean Grey moves to protect the professor, moving mm. him out of the way with telekinesis. And, uh, oh, slamming the door. Oh, so that must be like a steel-reinforced door. <laughs> because for some reason, the, the blob can withstand bullets, and he's immovable, and he's running here. But when Jean Grey closes the door with her telekinesis, he hits the door and is stopped instead of just driving through it until the beast hits him in the chest and then knocks him through the door. Makes no sense. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Makes no sense at all. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So the blob, as we can see, on the first panel of page 12, is running away, uh, and he's on a road, probably the road away from the school, which makes sense. But then in the next panel, he's on, like, a dirt road, which happens to have a manhole cover on it <laughs> in the middle of this dirt road. And in the next yeah. panel, I don't know, this... I have not been in any sewers, but it looks like it has, like, gauges and gears and speakers. Yeah, that's a pretty awesome sewer. It's <laughs> like, uh, I don't know, maybe, maybe it looks like Magneto's lab from the first issue. So maybe, like, Magneto's lab is directly underneath the X-Men mansion. Could be. And the blob just happens to be going through it unbeknownst. I'm going to guess that that's not what's happening here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, so... The professor admits that he made a mistake and he shouldn't have been so full of himself. And Yeah, he pretty much admits it there. So that's big of him. That's big of him. Maybe he'll learn a lesson from this. So, yeah, the blob goes back to the circus uh, and then promptly decides to what? Yeah, realizing that he's a mutant uh, gives him some sort of uh, – it goes to his head and he decides to take over the circus. He says he'll outsmart them and he'll attack them because he knows where they are and it won't be hard. Most this, importantly, he dons purple underwear. He, okay, we're not there yet. You're, you're, you're going <laughs> way ahead, buddy. I want to say that up until this, this part of the comic, I have been into it. We've gotten some good backstory on the X-Men. The Beast has come into his own. Cyclops and Jean Grey are kind of developing the relation, not the relationship, but their feelings for each other. And we're getting some backstory, and we get introduced to the blob, and the professor's made a mistake. But I feel like page 13 here is where the rest of the book just completely falls apart. <laughs> so let us continue. <laughs> so the blob takes over the circus and determines that he's going to uh, have the circus attack the X-Men. Get everybody and, uh, together. All the freaks, acrobats, performers, everybody. I want them here in five minutes. Now hop to it, you puny homo sapien. Move when I give you an order. And, and sure, he dons some purple underwear. Because nothing go. is more threatening than... Uh, a big fat man in purple underwear. <laughs> Look, I would be afraid of a big fat man with purple underwear running towards me. I, yeah, I have to admit I would be too. Uh, and then, yeah, so the angel is looking probably for him doing some reconnaissance. Uh, they're going to shoot him down because apparently they're packing heavy artillery. 
at the circus? Well, as we saw, they have a cowboy in their midst. We have like 22s or something. I mean, that's what, enough to kill like a squirrel from a couple hundred yards. But Actually, I mean, look at the blob is surrounded by six gunmen. I see that. I don't understand where they get, <laughs> where they all got those guns, but okay. Circus Reeds and gunmen. <laughs> Maybe they had the gun show, too. Maybe they got this big big gun act that we just didn't see in one of the, the other panels. What is this machine that the professor is in or has? I don't know. It looks to be like some sort of enhanced fan. Oh, no, it's his uh, electronic mass influencer. It will intensify his own thought wave so he can drive all memories out of the minds of an entire crowd. This is a device that he did not need last issue to drive the memories out of an entire crowd. He was outside then. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. Brain waves also carry on wind patterns. I'm with you. I'm with you. So, so he tells Angel to bring the team together, and um, here we get a good uh, example of the intelligent beast studying advanced calculus. Mm-hmm. What I'm curious, though, about is why is the why is Angel the only one that's kind of on duty? Why is everybody else off duty? The Blob just escaped from their, their mansion. The professor's building this mass influencer device. Yet somehow the beast is like, oh, you know what? I need to study my calculus and I need to take all my clothes off and sit in my underwear while I do it. Well, I guess after the Blob left, the professor was like, okay, <laughs> angel, reconnaissance, everybody, everybody else, else relax. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And Bobby's like, ooh, ice cream time. <laughs> Because that's how Stan Lee writes kids. If they're under 18, all they do is eat ice cream sundaes. And that's when a giraffe comes through the window. Maybe this is where it falls apart. Maybe it didn't fall (laughs) apart until this panel. But yes, a giraffe slams his head through the mansion's window and eats Iceman's ice cream sundae. At which point we get our first look at what's attacking the mansion, which is the circus. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, oh, this is amazing. I mean, uh, this this panel with with Bobby pushing the giraffe away with a broom. Mm-hmm. What are these guys traveling on? They oh, have like yeah. they brought they brought a couple of like uh, poles to <laughs> it's like move the, around on. Yeah, and, it's like the uh, flying Walendas. They're setting up trapezes so that they can. He's swing got like in. a scaffolding that they brought with him. <laughs> well, they're circus performers. They're used to uh, setting up and tearing down real quick. In this next panel, this guy's climbing up a ladder. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wait, where are you? Sin, Sinbad's on the elephant. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah well, team. they brought a magician with them. Yeah. <laughs> Bring them to it's me. Like, I will tell their fortune. Oh, and you got a clown there? The clown's the guy with yeah, the ladder. The, the clown is following a hobo up the ladder with, <laughs> with a gun. The X-Men are being attacked by a strong man, a hobo, a clown, and a genie. <laughs> <laughs> and the blob. On an elephant. Yes. The blob here uh, amazingly has lost all of his hair in this panel. <laughs> yeah, I just saw that. <laughs> Again, Jack Kirby is now, he's, he's drawing Fantastic Four and this. He's drawing, you know what, I bet you he was ambidextrous and just drew with both hands as fast as he possibly could. <laughs> there's, the, uh, there's like a superhero in the background of yep. this battering ram panel. Yeah, there's like a, like a daytime Dracula, except he doesn't appear to have any pants on. <laughs> I don't know, based on the coloring there anyways. He's got shorts on, but like... Nothing but just bare legs there. Uh, Jean Grey opens the door so the battering ram can just come flying in. Cyclops shoots the battering ram, and they go flying out. Ah, your trapeze guys with their scaffolds. They came in handy because now they're shooting over their trapeze wires. With grappling hooks. With grappling hooks. The beast meets them on the uh, the high wire, 
showing that he is he he is very circus inclined. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He well, yeah. You don't take on the beast on a high wire act. And then the beast using some uh, some really big words here. I don't even know what this. Uh, what I don't even know what a cognomen is. He says, oh. although I admit it's most unwarranted cognomen for one as scholarly as refined as I fancy myself to be. But it obviously, it means name. But oh, I only really? get that from yeah, because oh. in the the previous word moon, he says, "Allow me to introduce myself." Okay, huh. I wonder if that's like the root of nomenclature, which is also kind of name cognomen. All right, and the beast has some crazy moves here that he does on the uh, the high wire. Mm-hmm. He spins him around, throws him back at the hobo with the gun. <laughs> he does do that. Uh, <laughs> at which point, uh, the blob is calling out orders. He's like the general of this deranged circus. Keep firing them. They're shooting bullets at him. Beast is singing a song. Oh, he's singing the mulberry bush song as he swings around the the scaffolding that the uh, circus has brought for him. And then, as unflatteringly as it is, they send an ape out to fight the beast. Yep. That's got to hurt his pride. No, he seems to to take it pretty well. You remind me of my last date, my Mm -hmm. last blind date. Mm -hmm. Inside, he's crying. Outside, he's making (laughs) jokes. Yeah, I suppose. <laughs> oh, and there he is. I mean, I think maybe this is why the Beast doesn't get any credit. For for as smart as he is, he does circus antics like this first panel on page 17 where he's on Yeah, his he's doing a little spin there for the... Spinning grip. the gorilla with his feet. Uh, they go after Angel with a lasso. Mm-hmm. Oh, the, the cannonball guys tackle. The flying oh. Zambubas. Being shot <laughs> Zambubas. <laughs> Um, shot out of a cannon straight into Angel, who I guess must not have been paying attention. No. Because I would have, I would have probably dodged that if I was Angel. But good work, there's only, there's only one trajectory that these guys can, can go at, <laughs> and they only get one shot at this too. It's not like <laughs> yeah. unless there's like a whole line of these guys that they brought in from Rasta. They're like, all right, twenty of you guys line up. Blobs down there aiming up the trajectory. Okay, Angel is there. Shoot! Ah, damn it, we missed. Get Svenlada. <laughs> Hello. Uh, and then they capture uh, the the flying the flying zambubas. <laughs> they <laughs> capture the angel, and then yep. uh, what would you call this guy? The magician on the elephant, uh, genie, the genie uh, dressing guy, Simba. Sure, he he captures uh, uh well he almost captures Cyclops and rudely Cyclops shoots the elephant in the face. Yeah, and like wow, that's a pretty intense. Uh... I mean, it's an elephant, for God's sakes. He could have, like, dodged left or right, or maybe even, as this picture is drawn, just walked underneath the elephant, crawled <laughs> underneath. But he hits the elephant so hard that the elephant digs through the ground. Mm-hmm. Maybe Jean Grey could have lifted him in the air, as we've seen her do many times in the past. Oh, that would have that would have exhausted her. As <laughs> we I'm tired now, Scotty. Save me. Uh, next page. Um, they're coming after Cyclops with a net. And... Uh, Iceman throws some torpedoes at some guys that are dressed in uh, coats for the winter. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't know what I don't know what the net result of Iceman's ice rocket is because in the next page I, I don't see where it went. Uh, <laughs> but the snow guys apparently the the snow jacket wearing guys in the middle of summer appear to be laying on the ground now. We will find out in four issues. Oh, they're, uh, <laughs> they're insulated suits. Let it, yes. Oh, the, oh, there it is. It's all right here, Adam. You just got to read. The blob was right. These insulated suits let us get near the kid without freezing. See? 
man, the blob is smart. And as I read this issue, I haven't really seen too many of the uh, narration lines that say, uh, the next week, the next day, two hours later. So I can only assume that this has all happened within the span of the same day. Yeah, I think so. I, I have to agree with you there. I think Which tells me that the blob great. had to tell these guys to go into town, get some jackets, and then come back so they could attack the mansion. They had some jackets lying around for so. the time that the circus went up up to the... Uh, but these the, aren't, actually, these aren't just jackets, Adam. These are insulated suits. They they play shows in Alaska. They're, uh, they're prepared oh, for these things. Ah, uh, good point. And they have gas masks in case they get um, bombed. So the the professor kind of watches from atop his lab window, maybe, looks down at them. And basically says, the X-Men are fighting valiantly, but, you know, they're yeah. good, but they're not as good as I am, yeah. so. Not that good. My legs have no use, but I have the power of my brains. And hopefully this intensifier will be completed in time. A little foreshadowing, I guess. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't so know. So the X-Men are essentially beaten... Next panel is just a big mess of circus people defeating the X-Men, which is just how embarrassing for the X-Men, right? Here they've defeated Magneto. I guess, you know what, as of this point, they've only defeated Magneto, and they didn't even really do that. Magneto just kind of flew away. Yeah. The Vanisher had to have his mind wiped, and here they are taken out by a bunch of circus freaks. Okay. All right. <laughs> yep. <laughs> it sucks to be the X-Men. Uh, Cyclops breaks free of the net and discovers that while the blob can't be moved the ground below him can be moved. And this is this is something that uh, comes up again and again as they fight the blob. Which is, uh, actually, Cyclops, I think every issue, Cyclops has shot into the ground. Oh, really? Uh, I, I, think, that theme. I think you're right. I think you're right. Man, if we were paying more attention, we should have little tally sheets of all this. Yeah, we should develop a drinking game. <laughs> Cyclops shoots on the ground, drink five. Okay. They sneak up behind Cyclops with a sack. Mm-hmm. Which apparently Cyclops, Ow, well, he's not looking. This is our chance. Apparently Cyclops can't shoot through. You know, one thing I've never quite figured out about Cyclops' visor, in the earlier issues it looks like he has to touch something to, to activate it, but you never see like a switch or anything on it. To well, that's it. clearly the, the case here. The, uh, they say he can't move his visor to free that beam of his. But in later so they're issues, basically separating his arms from his... Sure. Uh, from his mask. But in later issues, it doesn't appear that he has to actually touch his visor to open him up. So I've Oh, never... yeah, I'm sure eventually it just became a device that they got tired of or something. Hmm. I just, yeah, they've never really quite explained how that works, to my satisfaction anyways. Maybe in one of these issues I haven't read coming up, we'll find out. <laughs> so, yes, uh, Angel is escaping, but then the lassoer ties up his wings. I mean, and if you look at the position in which his wings are tied up, it looks like that would be breaking some bones, don't you think? Yeah, his wings seem to be pretty invulnerable to everything. Mm-hmm. The beast, all this time, has been playing with his gorilla and finally throws him away. So I guess maybe he got bored of uh, uh, spinning him on his feet. <laughs> Plays leapfrog. Beast does like to play a lot of leapfrog. And he manages, for, it looks like he knocks over everybody with a gun, so that's good. Yeah. Uh, but meanwhile, these guys in their red suits had enough time to build a human pyramid. Which proves ineffective as a beast just bounces right through it. Into the arms of the blob, who, I'm not sure who ties him up, but the beast gets yeah, tied you, up. <laughs> what, I, what I gather here is the blob holds him down until somebody ties him up. Okay, that could be. 
Everybody's tied up. The angel, I mean, not the angel, but Iceman, for some reason, uh, is tied up and also has a fiery stake above his head. <laughs> um, so that was good planning on the on the blob's part to bring that. Yeah, it's like a circle of flame that is uh, over the head of Iceman so that if he moves, it will fall melting him. You're right. It's tied to his leg. Well, actually, yeah. so if he just ran away... <laughs> physically that thing would just go shoot up in the air and he would be safe That's or dumb. you know what if he used his powers to freeze the rope <laughs> <laughs> hmm uh, I don't buy it <laughs> uh, yes that's a really dumb Rube Goldberg trap there <laughs> the, perf- uh, the blob in the his cohorts the circus freaks make their way into the mansion and the professor sits there and tele- telepathically sends Marvel Girl some information. Letting her know that she can use her, her powers to remove her blindfold. Mm-hmm. And together with the professor, she mentally navigates her way into the Sharpo, world's greatest knife thrower's... Uh, Sharpo. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Sharpo, world's greatest knife thrower. <laughs> Who happened to have a whole bunch of unattended knives with an open window for Marvel Girl to telekinetically bring to her aid. So she cuts herself free. She cuts the rest of the X-Men free. The blob and his cohorts break into the professor's lab. And then suddenly a wall of ice uh, blocks them away from the professor because the X-Men are officially free. Mm Mm-hmm. And the blob figures it out. Blob's not a dummy. He figures it out immediately. Only the Iceman could have done this. But wait, he's our prisoner. Oh, okay, so he's not that smart. <laughs> um, so I'm a little confused what's going on here, but apparently there's a giant sheet in the middle of the yes. room. Uh, a huge section of canvas seems to float through the air. Yeah. So don't know where that came from, but convenient. And 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 Marvel Girl is controlling this huge sheet of canvas and and um, bundles them all up except for the blob. And then Cyclops shoots the floor out again from underneath the blob, causing him to fall down to the next floor. Mm-hmm. Who's shooting the angel here? Oh, some guy in a kilt that must not have been wrapped up in the giant canvas thing. I don't yeah. know where these guys came from, but angel and beast spring to action, finally. So while they were outside and had all the extra space, they were getting their hats handed to them. But once inside... The angel's got this one, two, three, four, five, six, seven guys that he knocked over, and uh, Cyclops an equal amount, maybe nine guys there that he shoots over in just one shot. And they're what does all the taken beast care of. do? It looks like the beast just leaps over everybody. Yeah, beast is afraid. <laughs> My calculus books. He's jumping over. I don't know. He's yeah. The angel looks like he's doing the brunt of the work there. And so yeah, the professor creates his mind, the the intensifier ray. Gun, yes, the intensifier ray. Which he intensifies his thoughts towards the blob and the circus. Is able to mind wipe all of them. Say it again. Is able to mind wipe all of them. You have to say mind wipe more menacingly. Is able to mind wipe all of them. Ah, it's much better. I have a feeling this is going to be a common theme in the X-Men comics because apparently yeah, the X-Men themselves <laughs> can't defeat anybody and just have to have the professor... Just mind wipe everybody? Yeah, so far two issues in a row, the X-Men got their asses handed to them, and the professor saved the day with a mind wipe. Uh, and then, But then the professor says something about, we fought together and the X-Men triumphed together, and 
all I see is the X-Men created a diversion long enough for the professor to build his mind-wiping intensifier, which I'm going to point out again, he didn't need last issue. (laughs) And then the blob ends up back at the circus, doing his circus thing. Not even realizing he's a mutant anymore. And the final panel of this issue kind of reminds me of the end of a happy-go-lucky, feel-good sitcom in the 80s. (laughs) They're all standing together, happy. I can imagine some cheesy music coming out of a Casio keyboard right now. It's a good sign that Stanley is plotting out the future, though, because Professor X knows that someday in the future the Blob's memory may return. Mm -hmm. But when it does, the X-Men, the Homo Superior, will be ready. Or something. <laughs> uh, there you go. X Men number three. Dun dun dun. Uh, I think I've made my thoughts on this issue perfectly clear. Yeah, it wasn't bad until the circus folk showed up. <laughs> and I never actually realized it until this particular reading how corny this issue was. Because in the past, I think I was just much younger going like, oh, it's the blob. Oh, this is amazing. Oh, I love the X-Men. And now it's like, wait, the X-Men are being beaten by the great Zumbubas? Yeah, at this point, the X-Men are not such a hotshot team. I'm hoping this will turn around. They're definitely second stringers of the Marvel Universe. Yeah, except for Professor X, who seems to be pretty handy with his mind wipe. Pretty much don't need anybody but Professor X and his mind wipe. <laughs> I'm going to take over the world. Mind wipe. Oh. Still, this this issue was fun. Uh, again, yes. The first half, I, I enjoyed Stanley as at least giving us a little bit of backstories, some uh, uh, drama, if you will, some some children's soap opera-iness, which, which is kind of what I like about uh, comics more so, is uh, the storytelling, the ongoing storytelling and the character development more so than the action yeah, the action, it's the same with the first two issues, I would say, too. The interesting part of the X-Men so far is their interactions and their characters developing and all of that stuff, whereas the uh, the action scenes have just been kind of silly and the X-Men keep losing, which doesn't help. I, I think it's getting better. I think uh, we're definitely establishing some of the personalities that we, we know and love, mm-hmm. which is uh, pretty good. Hopefully we'll see more of that. Well, until next time, this is uh, Jeremy and Adam saying the danger room is closed. Bye. Beware of the blob, it creeps and leaps and glides and slides across the floor, right through the door and all around the wall. A splotch, a blotch, be careful of the blob. Beware of the blob, it creeps.